This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Baruch Hashem, it's good to be back. So um, we are halfway through our Sefer on Kibbut Aim. This is it, half of it. 180 days out of the 365. Um, writing the book to get, uh, again like we did uh, less than a day in, in um, Across the Tall, Let There Be Rain. So... I wanted to name this book, I Plead the Fifth, because it's the fifth, the fifth, uh, the fifth of the Ten Commands, give it a name, but people would think that it's a law book. So we can't write it, I Plead the Fifth, we're going to figure out what the name is going to be, but I'd just like to read you some excerpts of what we've written so far, um, just a little, a little bit, a couple of different ideas, and then we'll go into, um, to talk about Pesach. So, this is a story with Rav Shach. Um, a Tamar whose father had recently passed away asked Rav Shach the following. Yom Kippur was soon approaching and his widowed mother, who probably wanted him to dive in their local shul and sleep at home. However, the Talmud felt that if he remained in yeshiva, he would dive with far greater kavan and inspiration, yeshiva davening. Was he required to obey his mother's request? She wanted him to be home and dive in a regular shul. Rav Shach replied by signing the Midrash. HaKosh Baruch Hu said, Obey my words, for no person ever listens to me and loses out as a result. It's, I've been preaching this for a very long time because people think that they do the right thing, but then they're going to lose money. And so then, then Hashem's not Hashem. If He tells you to do something and then you do it and you get punished for it, then He can't be Hashem. So it doesn't make any sense. So whatever I tell, you never, you're never going to lose something by doing God's will. So, so the measure that he, he's, he's quoting a measure that says, Hashem says, listen to my words, for no person ever listens to me and loses out as a result. So, Rav Shach said, no one ever loses from doing the right thing. If at this point in time, your mother feels that she must have you in the house for Yom Kippur, then that is the right thing to do. And I assure you that your tefillah won't lose out even though you're not in yeshiva in your home. Okay? That was the story of Rav Shach and Kibbut of Aim. One story. Another story from Seda Hadairis. So it brings down the story, the following story that Rabbi Yehoshua ben Elam, Yehoshua ben Elam, in his dream, the Malach, um, an angel came and said, you should be happy for you and Nanas the butcher will be near each other in Ganeiden. He will be a Chavusa. Nanas the butcher. When Yehoshua woke, he said, Oyvei, Woe to me, from the day of my birth I've always been preoccupied with the awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I only, I sat and learned Torah all day long. I never walked without wearing tzitzes and tefillin. I had 80 Talmudim, and you're putting me as a chavuz with a butcher? Right, it bothered him. So he sent word to his Talmudim, I will not enter the base of Medrash, I'm not giving share anymore, until I see who this man is, and what he does, that he's my chavuz in Gan Eden. So the Talmudim wasted no time in trekking from city to city until they located the city where the butcher lived. Where Yeshua entered the city and asked, where is Nanas the butcher? He was told, why do you seek him? You are a tzaddik and exceedingly pious. And you ask about someone like him? Yeshua responded, what is he busy himself with? They said, "Um, don't inquire about him until you meet him. Okay, so they sent a message to this butcher, Nanas. And they said, Rabbi Yeshua ben Elam wants to meet you. Nana said, who am I? That Rabbi Yeshua is looking for me. What I do? They told him, just come with us. The Talmudim brought him. So, 
Yeshua went to Nanas, who fell before the sage's feet and said, what has happened today that the, the crown of our, the, the head of the dar, the Gadol Hadar, comes to me, I'm just a servant. Rabbi Yeshua said, there's something I must discuss with you. What is your work? What are you, and what are you busy with? Nanas replied, my master, I'm a butcher. He said, okay, but like, what are you busy with? He said, I have an elderly father, an elderly mother, and they are not able to care for themselves. Every day I dress them, I feed them, and I bathe them with my own hands. Yeshua immediately stood up, kissed Nanas on his head. He said, my son, praiseworthy are you, praiseworthy is your lot. How wonderful is my lot that you will be my chavrusa in Ganeidin. Not that he sat and learned, not that he put on tefillin, not that he fasted, not that he davened for five hours. He had kibbut of aim, he dressed his parents, he fed his parents, and he bathed his parents. This book's going to be a pretty big eye-opener. Are you ready for this? Question, and, and everything that we have done, um, everything that we have done, we don't do any any halacha unless we go through a shmuel kamenetzim and other other um, other dayanim, other paiskim. So we're very careful. Everything is everything is very 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 checked out. So here's the question, everybody. In today's modern world, most landline phones and cell phones are equipped with cool waiting features. So that when someone is in the middle of a phone call, an incoming call is identified by a beep, right? Call waiting. With the call ID, the person also knows who's beeping in, right? We have this all the time. If someone is on the phone with his father or mother, is it disrespectful to put the call on hold in order to take another call? In other words, your mother or your father call you, you're talking to them, all of a sudden you have a beep from a friend or from business or whatever. And you're like, Ma, hold on a minute. And you take the other call. Is that an avera? Is that is that disrespectful? I'm going to reach. It would be even if it's an emergency, you'd have to tell them this. There's another phone call. It looks like it's an emergency. Because how would you know it's an emergency? Let's put them on hold, right? Okay. So he says the following. If someone is on the phone with his father or mother, is it, it is disrespectful to put the call on hold in order to take the other call. If the, um, if the incoming call might be very important, then the son could say, I think I'm getting an important call. Is it all right if I answer it? You have to ask them. You can't say, hold on a minute, Ma. Say, Ma, I think I'm getting an important call. Is it okay? If she says no, you can't, you can't pick up the other call. So we have all these different halachas of the new day and age in, in, in here, and you're, you're going to be a little shocked about some of it. Now, what happens if it's your wife? Okay? So, it says the following. A man, a man's kibbutz of aim comes before his wife, but a wife's kibbutz of aim comes after her husband's. Because first she has to respect her husband. So if her husband says, um, I don't want you going to the store, this store. I don't want you in that store. I don't like that. I don't want, I don't want you shopping there. And your father comes to him and says, I want you to get me something from that store. You're not allowed to. But if it's the other way around, right? The wife has to have, have that, has to have covered for her husband before her parents. But her husband does not have, to, has a chiv of kibbutz of aim before his wife. Yeah. So, so in this case, he says over here that you have to, 
that you have to tell your wife that if if you're calling in and I don't pick up your beep, the only reason I won't pick up your beep is if my mother or father are on the phone. So you have to tell that beforehand. It would be advisable to tell one spouse if I am on the phone with my parents and I see that you are beeping in, I will call you back as soon as I get off the phone. Okay? So, very, very interesting halachas. There was one other thing. Rabbi Gamliel, my Rabbi, who wrote a book on Hilchas Kibbutz wrote the following. When a person honors his parents, he is in effect saying, I am grateful to Hashem who has selected this particular couple as my father and mother. By honoring your parents, you're saying to Hashem that I agree with their, that you gave me these parents, right? I, I appreciate them. Surely if he has chosen them, then they are the ones that my neshama needs as parents so that I can, fu- can, fu- can fulfill my purpose in this world. However, when one does not honor his parents, it is that he's saying the opposite, like, like Hashem, you don't know what you're doing. How could you give me these parents? He said, I heard the following from Rabbi Yisrael Yaakov Fisher. I knew he was the dying in Yerushalayim. So, so much, I'm just quoting Rabbi Fisher, okay? So much suffering and aggravation that people suffer in this world is due to the aggravation they cause their parents and because they did not honor them properly. If people would realize how far-reaching are the effects of this mitzvah, even in this world, they would perform it in a most exemplary way, thereby saving their families from much aggravation and distress. It's this is quoted in a in the Tiv, in the Tiv Hischaskus, which is again Rabbi Gamliel, Kibbutz of Aim. So my Rebbe wrote that. But I'm just telling you, he always tells everyone who comes to him who wants, um, it, who wants uh, what's it called, um, a bracha. He's like, you got to keep, you got to keep Kibbutz of Aim. Anyway, these are just two excerpts from the book. The book is is a, is Har, It's a big book, and I think you'll find it very fascinating. And I think it's a shame. It's a game changer. Mamish a game changer. Alright, let's get to Pesach. It's a very interesting shit tonight. So, let's first talk about Pesach. It's a story that I always say, but it's a story that you have to hear um, before Pesach because it's very, very important. And then I'll explain to you a little bit more about the story that I've never said. So, the story is like this. The the the, the Torah tells us that Kaisrol was taken out of Mitzrayim b'chi pazom, in a moment, in a rush. I'll read you the Pasuk. If you want to write it down, um, it's Pasuk Yud Aleph, Perik Yud Beis. Okay? Pasuk Yud Aleph, Perik Yud Beis. Uh, Ruth, I have to apologize. I, I found the story with the girl, with the woman in the mikvah and, and Avram and Sarah. I have it. And I didn't, I, I, I switched cars and it's not in my car. But it makes next week I'll, Next week, I'll bring it, and I'll make copies, and I'll give it out so that you can show it to people that, that it's a true story. Okay? Okay. I, I have it. I just sw- I went to a wedding. I'm coming from a wedding, so I switched cars. Anyway. So, Pussy Yud Aleph, in Paragud Bay, Pasha's Bow. When you eat the Korban Pesach, this is how you should eat the Korban Pesach, the Pussy says. Masnechem Chagurim. Your, 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 your pants, your, your, your clothing should be tied, which should be like your belt should be tied, like, like, like you're ready to go. Now, lechem rag lechem, you should have your shoes on, right? Don't start going for your shoes when it's time to go. Be wearing shoes. not slippers. Umakalchem biyetchem, have your sticks, your staffs, your canes in your hand. That's how they used to travel. Viachaltem also, bechipazon. And eat it in a rush. How does he translate? Chipazon, in haste. 
He did it in haste. Pesach Hashem, it's become Pesach to Hashem. What's the, the word chipazel? Why was Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim chipazel? Why? Hashem knew exactly when he was going to take us out, right? All of a sudden it's like, get your sticks, get your shoes, get your, get your jackets on, we're, we're out of here. Like, you knew when we were going, why didn't you give us two weeks advance notice? A month advance notice. So if someone says a joke, you know how Jews travel with all the food, like, you know, you go pay stuff to Great Adventure, and like, everybody's got these strollers full of matzah and juice. And apple juice and stuff like that. And they get in. They don't, they don't go on rides. Jewish people, we don't go on rides. We hate rides. I hate rides. You make you nauseous, right? You sit down. The first thing you do is you eat, right? Then you go online. The line's too big. You go back. Let's eat again, right? So, so like, if Hashem would have told us a month in advance we, we're going on a long trip, forget about it. We'd have been shopping and cooking and baking and, and, and making gefilte fish and cake and then muffins and, and, Okay, diet stuff, kale and salad and, and all the other, you know, and all the other stuff. And we would have never gotten out of there. So he didn't give us a chance to make anything. In fact, we didn't even make bread because the matzah became overnight. We didn't have chance, even time to bake. What's with the rush business? Why do you like tell us, listen, you got a month, prepare, pack up, get your luggage, you know, fold your clothing, iron it. No, put your shoes on, put your jacket on, put your pants on, get your stick, let's go. What happened here? Why basically puzzle? This is the most amazing marshal. I, this marshal is something that I, I, I said by every, every Seder to my kids, and I give it every year in the year because you just have to understand. And tonight I'm going to tell you something that's going to just blow you away, and I might even show you a picture if the phone didn't die. We'll see if it did die or not. So, so here's the story. So there was a king. There's always a king in my stories, at least the old stories. There was a king. And he was very young. His father had passed away. His mother had passed away. And he was very, very young. And he was a single, good-looking, handsome prince. And they said, you got to get married. You can't, you can't be an unmarried king. And there's this beautiful princess, and she lives in a faraway country. And if you go marry her, then in the old days, that's how they put kingdoms together. They would take a, 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 a prince and a princess, and they would marry. And then they would merge the two they would merge the two countries. That's what they used to do. They used to get married for, for those reasons. So, they, the guy doesn't, the girl doesn't go to the guy. The guy goes to the girl. I have this whole situation that I talk to girls about, and, and like some Shachanam are not happy with me, but, but I, I like girls have to fly from California and Baltimore to come to New York to date guys. I'm like, not from where I come from. Not, not from the days I was growing up. The guy goes to the girl. The girl doesn't have to fly to the guy. But today, there's a crisis. And in a crisis, in a crisis, you do what you gotta do. Right? Not only that, I know, I know some girls, the guy doesn't drive, she'd have to pick him up. <laughs> now, yeah, really, not for me. And the latest thing is, why don't we split the bill? I'm like, okay. Anyway, yeah, why does he have to pay? He's in Yeshiva, like, why, why, you know? You're working, he's in Yeshiva, why does he have to pay? And I'm like, cause that's just the way, just the way it was, it is. Okay, it's Goyish. That's Goyish. What do you mean? Guy has to pick. So I'm not getting into this. I'm not getting into this subject tonight because I'm going to get my head handed to me. But, but I'm, I'm very anti-girls flying to the boy. Let the boy fly to you. Let him go to California. Let him date you. He's the guy. But no, it's not the way it is. Okay. What? That's the way it is right now. Okay. So things have changed. Anyway, but in those days, the king, the prince goes to the princess. The princess doesn't go to the prince. 
Okay. So, so he, he, all right, so he's going to go visit this girl in a different country, and he's going to marry her because they want, you got to put the two countries, he heard very nice things about her, they got to put the two countries together, so he goes on a, in his beautiful, uh, not a wagon, what do they call it? Um, not a chariot, that's a really way back, we're not going that far. In his carriage, in the carriage, in the royal carriage, right? And he's sitting in this beautiful royal carriage, gold encrusted, the whole thing, and he's got a bunch of soldiers around him, and they're on the road, and they're going, they're going to visit, it's a couple of days, it's a three-day trip, he's going to meet his princess. And in the middle of the day, they come to an intersection on the road, you know, they're traveling through the woods and through the peasants and through the farms and everything else, and they're, they're, they come to a, uh, an intersection in the road, and the, the horses stop, because there was some, some stuff, some wagons going across the other way, and he's sitting there by the window, and all of a sudden, on the side, he looks down, there's a hand, a mighty hand, not just a hand, there's a person connected to the hand, and please, please, alms for the poor, please, I'm starving, could you give me something? He looks down, and there's this girl in the mud, a poor peasant girl, um, all caked with mud and dirt, that, that, that's what she did, she sat at the intersection, and she collected money for herself, whatever it is. And he looks down at this hand, whatever it is, and he's like, "Stand up! I want to see. I want to see who you are." And she, she, she's in front of the prince, right? She goes, "No, it's okay." So he goes, "No, stand up! I want to see who you are." He says, "He says to her, why do you?" And all the soldiers are now because they don't know it could be an assassin. They don't know who it is, right? So they all come crowding around, and with him is like the ambassador, the, like his number two guy who takes care of him. He's the prince, and, and he and he, the guy says, "And what do you? What do you?" You're the, you're the prince. You don't talk to the peasants. You don't talk to this, to these people. This is not for you. We have, we have a place to go. He goes, but, but, but she's in my kingdom. But I want to know why she's so poor. Like, what's going on? He says, what's going on? She says, I have no parents. I was left as, a, I was left as an orphan. And this is how I get, this is how I get money for my food. He says, no, it can't, it can't, it can't be like this. It can't be like this in my kingdom. No, I have to take you. This guy's like, Hello, this is not Romeo and Juliet. This is not like a movie. It's not a book that you read a paperback. Like, hello, you're the king. Let's go. We, we're going to meet the princess. He says, no, get, in, get into the carriage, tells her. And they're like, says, get into the carriage. He's still the king. Now, she's all filthy. The carriage is gorgeous, right? She sits down. She's like, she can't even look at him. She's like, he says, this is not going to work. I, I can't allow this to happen. Turn it around. We're going back to the palace. They're like, no, we'll take her. We'll put her in a hotel. She'll get washed up. We'll buy her clothing. We'll buy her food. We'll build her a house. We'll take care of her. You're not bringing her to the palace because the people will rebel. If they see you come home with a peasant like this, he says, but I'm the king and I do what I want to do. Okay, you can't fight with the king. They turn around. Everyone's, all the guys are murmuring like, Michigan, what are you doing? Like, she's, she's a peasant. She's no royal blood. She's filthy, she's ugly, she's like, eh, smelly. He comes back, all the people are like, how's he back already? He's going for three days, and they were, right? And of course, you know, it's, it's the prince, so it's like like the National Enquirer, like the, all the news, you know, they, they, all, the, all the dirt and all the stuff they want to talk about, right, whatever it is. And, and, and like, they, they're like, what's going on? Who is that girl? Ooh, what's, what is that? Like, it's a tramp, it's a peasant, they're all talking. He's crazy, what is he doing? That's the princess he brought back. How did he get back so fast? Everyone's tumbling, everyone's tumbling. 
And Nebuch the Ambassador's like, I can't believe this guy. Like, he's just messing it really up for himself really big. Anyway, he brings her into the palace. Everyone's like, he says to the, the women over there, he says, take her to my mother's room, give her a shower, wash her up, put her in my mother's gown, perfume, everything. I want her to look beautiful, as beautiful as she can. And 2 o'clock today, bring her to the main dining room. We're going we're gonna to eat together. This guy's like, come on, you gotta stop this. Just, 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 we'll take care of her. You gotta go. You gotta leave. You got there's nothing to talk about lunch. Two o'clock. Okay. So, two o'clock comes. He's sitting in his royal dining room. Tables all the way across, right? And the ambassadors are there and the people that work with the king are there. And in walks this girl in a gown and jewelry and makeup and whatever it is. They never saw such a beautiful girl in their lives. Like, there was no way that anybody could see through the mud, through the filth, through her torn dress, that this girl was magnificent. And they're all like, wow. And he's like, I saw, I could see through it. I knew that's what she looks like, right? Okay. Whatever it is, she sits down, but she never saw, she's like, she never saw dishes like this and, and gold and like that. She sits down and you know, there's an etiquette at a, at a king's table. She has no etiquette at all. Right, so they put some food in front of her, just takes it with her hands, and just like she does where she, where she comes from. And like the, the ambassador's like, I knew this is, you know, you, you can, you can take the peasant and bring him into the castle, but you can't take the peasant out of the peasant. She's a peasant, and she's never going to be a queen, and she was never brought up, and she has no etiquette, and she has no royalty, and like, it's very nice, she's very pretty, it's very, very nice, you found someone that's very pretty, but she cannot be a queen. She does not know how to run a court. She, has, she can't be the queen. Look at her. She's eating with her hands. And, she, and, and, and she's slobbing all over the food. And she's taking all the, like, she's drinking the soup out of the bowl. Like, and everyone's like, ugh, you know, you know how they are. The royalty, like, you know. And he's like, we'll teach her. We'll teach her. It's not a problem. We'll teach her. And for a year, he got an etiquette lesson and manners, taught her how to read, taught her arithmetic, taught her how to walk, taught her how to be amongst the people and how to look royal. And it took a year of a lot of work and they got married. And everybody was so happy because she was the most amazing woman because she lived so poor, she understood the poor and never were the poor in that country ever treated the way they were treated when she was queen because that's where she came from. And they lived happily ever after. What a great story, Rabbi Wallstein. We did not come here tonight to hear that story, even though it's nice, you know. This is what happened. This is what happened on Pesach night. puzzle In a moment. It's a very, very deep story. It's written in Kabbalah. It's a very deep story. We, as Klai Yisrael, were on the 49th level of Tumah. One more minute in Mitzrayim, we would have never gotten out. That's how low we were. We served Avoy de Zara. We were on the 49th level of Tumor. Smelly, dirty, filthy peasants, no royalty, slaves. We weren't. In fact, as the Medrashat says, when God came to, to betray him, and the angel said, Who are you taking out? And he said, I'm taking out Klyisrael. The Malachim said, One second. Klyisrael is on the 49th level of Tumor. Betray him. Is on the 49th level of Tumah. 
Why would you take out the slaves? If you're going to take someone out, take out the masters. Take the midshrim to Israel. Give them the Torah. Why are you taking the slaves? The slaves. They, they, they were such slaves that after Hashem took them out, they said, we want to go back and we want to be slaves and we want to get whipped because, because they gave us fish, which they never got, but they said that. And water. They were, their mental status was peasants. We were peasants. We thought like slaves. We walked like slaves. We act like slaves. When a dog would bark, we would go crazy. We would have such anxiety because the dogs were guarding the triumph and anyone who tried to run away from the triumph, the dogs would rip you up. So the whole thing that the dogs didn't bark the night of Pesach was such a big thing that we, that, that the mitzvah in the Torah is that when you have non-kosher food, give it to the dog because if the dogs were to bark, even though we're going out of the triumph, we saw all ten markers. We saw God turn over the world. Fire, ice, everything, right? All ten markers. So if a dog barks, you're going to worry? And the answer is yes. Their mentality was, oh, dog, it's going to kill me. What do you mean? Hashem just showed you ten makas. That was their mentality. They were this peasant on the side of the war, of the war, arms for the poor. The Malachim said, why are you taking them out? If they're both equal, take the master. Why take the slave? That's what we were. We were that girl. We were that girl. And Hashem looked at us that night, in our filth, in our dirt, in the 49th level of Tumah, and he said to Malachim, that's the one I want. That's my kala. We're going to Har Sinai. We're getting married. Har Sinai is the chuppah. The ring is is was the was the was the was the, uh, was the uh, I want to marry them. The Malachim said, "What? I'll show you the midrash. What? Them? That's who you coming out of Shemayim to marry them? They're peasants. They're low life. They're nothing. You're going to be tummy. There's a whole the whole." The whole medrash on that that, that that was a graveyard and we were considered like we're Tomei and Hashem is a Kayin and they said if you're a Kayin you can't even take them out because you're Tomei and Hashem said no, it's, it's a whole, it's, we were like in such a bad place. We didn't deserve to leave Mitzrayim. We're in the 49th level of Tumah. But Hashem saw what the Malachim didn't see. Hashem saw the Pintaliyid. Hashem saw what a Jew really is. So even though we're covered with mud and dirt and everything else, he saw through it all. And he said, I'm taking her back to the palace. But they said, but they're peasants. Hashem said, it's 40 days from the triumph till we get married. In those 40 days, I'm going to teach them what it means to be married to Hashem. I'm going to teach them what it means to be an Am Hanitzcha, a chosen, a chosen nation. But we, on the other hand, also in that moment recognized who the king was. And therefore, we said to Hashem, we will go with you. It's sort of like a girl that's in love with a guy. I will go with you wherever you go. Hashem said, but I'm going into the Midbar. I'm not taking you out of a tribe. It's bad in a tribe, right? It's bad. In a tribe, you're slaves. But you got food and you got a place to sleep, right? So they said, so, so where are we going? You know, we're leaving the tribe. Where are you taking us? Hashem said, into the Midbar. No food. No water, we had no water, no food, some, some matzah on our backs, it's not gonna last for very long. They did, they, they knew they had to travel for a long time, there's no food. Like, Hashem, we didn't take any food! And we have no water! We're going to the desert. You know what that desert is? Even the Judean desert's 140 degrees in the shade in the summer. Okay? You're talking Nissan. It's hot! Right? And we said to Hashem, we're good! Right? I mean, hello? The first question, 
when a boy comes, when I have five daughters, right? But a boy came, one of the questions you ask him is, so how are you going to support my daughter? Like, do you work? You know, like, are you going to go to Kaila? What, like, what, like, how are you going to support my daughter? Imagine the guy says, listen, just let me marry your daughter. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to have, we're going to have food. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe you're going to have water. I'm not sure if we're going to have money for water. Are you going to live at a house? No, we're going to, we're going to go out into the desert. I'm like, no shit, Astali. Have a nice day. You can find someone, but you're not for my daughter, right? That's what Hashem said to us. I'm going to the midbar. Where's the food? The food, that, the stuff that's on your back, which is a little dough, a little matzo. That's it. That's your food. Where's the water? Water in the desert. They didn't know about the bear Miriam. They didn't know about the mun. They didn't know about the clouds that's going to kill all the scorpions and, 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 and that their feet won't be burning in the burning sand. Hashem was saying, we're leaving the tribe, which was bad, and we're going into a worse place. And we said, let's do it. We're there, we're yours. What a moment. What a crazy moment, Pesach night, between us and Hashem. And that's why it's called Leil Shimurim. It's like, the night of Pesach, you don't have to worry about nothing. You don't have to say anything, you don't have to worry about anything, because the night that Akash Baruch gets engaged to us, it's the engagement of, and we'll talk about this more in that next week, with the engagement of Akash Baruch with Klaishro, the guy that when he's engaged, no one's messing. He's not letting no one bother you. So it's called it's called Leil Shemurim. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't earn it at all. We were just as bad as the Mitzvah were. We didn't earn it at all. It was a moment in time where Hashem fell in love with us and was able to see through all the dirt and all the Avodah and all the slave mentality and say, this girl, we need to clean her up, but there's no one as beautiful as her. And therefore... We'll, we'll talk about this next week a little bit more. Therefore, I will read to you from a very holy Kavayasha that on the night of Pesach, you know what? I'll read it now. You have to hear this. You have to hear what happens by your Seder on the night of Pesach. Because the Malachim were the ones who badmouthed us. They said, like the guys, like, 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 like the ambassadors, they're like, what are you doing? You, these are peasants, God. You, you know, these are not, this is not who you want to, who you want to be, your chosen nation. Right? They really badmouth us a lot. And Hashem said, yeah, that's what you see, but I see a lot more. We've got to clean them up. I've got to read this to you from inside. Amazing, amazing, amazing. He says the following. The night of Pesach, when you're sitting by the Seder, you should be happy, you should be singing, because that was the night that we said... We will go wherever you go. And God said, I will take you to the most amazing place in the world. And even though you don't deserve it, I see through all the garbage and I see how holy you are. It's a crazy night, right? Don't show that you're in a rush. Oh, come on. When's the meal? When's the suda? Yeah. Your brother's saying to her, you're like, no, say it, say it tomorrow by the meal, by lunch. Every kid that wants to say it, say it tomorrow by the lunch. We're hungry. We're tired. It's late. Were you crazy? You got engaged that night. You get engaged for Hashem. You should be talking about the chassan. Like any girl that gets engaged, what? She's in a rush? She, gets, she doesn't go to sleep that night when she gets engaged. She's calling her friends and he's cute and he's this and he's that and they're all talking and they're all schmoozing. And she's on the phone the whole night with him and, and like, I'm like, okay, good night. You hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, I'm not hanging up first. You hang up first. And like, no, I'm not hanging up on you. Well, I'm not hanging up on you until six o'clock in the morning until he goes to Dav and you're like, you're up a whole night. You're like, let's get to the meal. Let's get to the food. I'll talk to you tomorrow by lunch. It's your, it's your, you got engaged. You can't stop, right? 
So, so the says, be careful because Hashem's coming to the house and he wants to hear what the Kal is saying about him and he brings all the angels because he wants to prove all those angels that were by Mitzrayim and said that we're muddy beggars, peasants. He wants to prove that he's right. So what does Hashem say? He says, by the Seder, even though the rest of the year never show what you have, take out all your silver, put on all your jewelry, buy the most beautiful tablecloth, most expensive dishes, because when the Malachim come, they're going to see the most beautiful princesses and princes that they say were full of mud. Look what my children look like. Look what my husband, look what my kala looks like now. So only on Pesach do you take out all your beautiful stuff, get dressed. It says that halachically you have to buy your wife a dress and clothing and jewelry for Pesach. And everyone has to sit at the table in their best clothing, in their best suits, and the best table and spend whatever you have to spend. And everything is silver and the best wine because the malachim are coming and Hashem wants to say, you were wrong. I saw what you didn't see. And this is what he says. I'm, I'm quoting the Kavayasha. And this is actually from the Zayar in Dathmem Amabez. Shechayev hu ala adam l'sapim b'siyas mitzrayim. That a person, everybody, adam, not only men, everybody has to talk about b'siyas mitzrayim. Oisib HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God that night gathers l'chol pamal yashalol. All the angels in Shemayim. V'oyim olehem and he says, l'chol, come with me. And listen to how they're talking about the chasm. Because that's what we're talking about. It's what Hashem did, right? So all the angels have to come with God. And they have to admit, to God, on everything that Hashem said about us and on all the, all the things that He did. Because you guys badmouthed them. Now I'm going to take you and show you that I was right and you were wrong. And all the angels in Shemayim, the Zazayah, Maidim, admit, lo to Hashem, al-am ha-kadosh yesh That you were right, and this nation is holy. We were wrong. We told you they're low lives, but you were right. They needed a little bit. They needed a Torah. They needed an ethics, a book of ethics on how to live. But you were right. You saw in them something that we did not see, and the angels have to admit it. And they're so happy that the Creator was right. I don't know what this means. There's a certain energy that becomes much more in Shemayim. Yisrael Hahu, and the Jews, by talking about Hashem, I don't know what this means. It's a Zaya. Give strength to God. I don't know what that means because he doesn't need our strength. But there's some kind of strength and I, I've i asked and I've, I've dug into this very deeply. I think I might have an answer. I'm going to share it with you because Hashem doesn't need strength. He, there's no strength we can give Him, right? But the Zayah says that this Sipur, we're giving God strength. The and all the worlds, Yireim, Fear or are in awe, actually in awe, and that's where I got my answer from. And then he, he, he says, we'll learn next week, if you don't do this, what the punishment is. If you're not Sameach. Okay. So, what does this mean that we give, what does this mean that we give him strength? And that there's this awe, 
right? This or in the next world, there's an or in front of Hashem. What do you mean? The malachim are not scared of Hashem because we're we say sheepers in the tribe. They're scared of Hashem. They're not scared of Hashem. They're not all of Hashem. We add to the awe of Hashem. What's going on over here? So my thought process, I, I can't say, I, there's no, no one asked this question. It's a Zaya, but my thought process is very simple. What does it mean we give Kayach to Hashem? Hashem doesn't need our Kayach. He gives Hashem Kayach that when the, when the Malachim come to Hashem, right? When the Satan comes to Hashem and he badmouths us, right? So he's going in front of the Midas Hadin. And he's saying they're doing this and they're doing stealing and they're doing this and all these different things and you should destroy him and they're bad. It gives Hashem the koyach to say to them, you were wrong about them by Mitzrayim. You said they're a bunch of lowlights, 49th level of Tumah. Why are you taking them out? You didn't see the good in them. But now because we're saying, see, this is Mitzrayim. Because now we're showing the Malachim that they were wrong it gives Hashem the kayak to say, no, what you see is wrong. Just as much as you were wrong last time, it gives Hashem the kayak to say, now you just, that you're just as wrong this time. And that brings the awe, the awe of Hashem into Shemayim that you were able to see in a nation that was on the 49th level of Tumah that Kleistro should come to become who it is. So it's not a, it's not to give him strength like he could do more power stuff, but it gives him the strength to answer, because they meet this in is MS. What do you mean Hashem needs the strength? Hashem just say, get out of here. Don't talk about my kids. No, but when, when it's meet us din, he has to be, he has to be MS. And if they say they're bad, you gotta, you gotta punish them, he doesn't have a choice. In meet us din. But now, he could say, you're right, but what you see is not who they are. What do you mean? Look at look at look at what happened in Mitzrayim. Look who they were. Look how they're sitting by their seder now talking about me. So he shuts them all up. So he gives Hashem the koyach to answer the makatrig. I believe that's what the Zayar is saying. I may be wrong, but that's the only thing, the only only the only thing that I could understand. Which which segues me into two stories I want to tell you. I had a very hard day Monday. I'm not going to get into it. If you want to know what happened to me on Monday. You can listen to last night's share. Go to Torah anytime. You don't even have to go online. Now Torah anytime has a phone. that You can, you can call in and get it. Um, it's amazing. And if you want to hear about it, whatever it is, I had a very hard morning. And it was such a hard morning that I was questioning if I should continue doing what I do. There's a girl that I was very close to. I took care of for many years um, before Ornavo. And for whatever reason, the last two years, I didn't really have anything to do with her. Um, and dropped the ball. And haven't heard from her for two years. And she called me up and said she wants to meet me Monday morning at 8.30. She didn't sound very happy on the phone. I realized that I'm going to get it over my head. And um, yeah, she came to visit me in my house and sat down and told me that you told me many years ago, I really took care of her monetarily, financially, emotionally, like a father and, and her child. But the last two years, for whatever reason, I stepped out. Um, it was the wrong reason, but I stepped out and I really had nothing to do with her. And she was really in a lot of pain and very hurt because she has nobody else in the world. And like the guy that told me he's going to take care of me didn't take care of me. So she came just to tell me how much she hates me and that 
with every cell in her body. She hates me with every cell in her body. Such hatred that she'll never forgive me and just really let me have it. And that's part of when you do what you do. Um, and I dropped the ball. I was wrong. I was wrong. I, you know, you never called me for Yantar. If you never called, find out how my kid's doing. You never, you never called on how I was doing. And she's right. At, at, when I first met her, there was no Oranava. There was no, there was no high school. There was no seminary. There was no ranch. So I could give her that focused time. And today it's not like that. And yeah, I dropped the ball. I, what, I, what I should have never said is I'm going to take that, I, you know, I'll always be there when you need me, I said. And I'll, I'll be, she, she doesn't talk to her parents. She has nothing to do with them. And I'll, I'll be like a father to you. And that should have never come out of my mouth. I should have just said, I'll do my best, and you can't be angry at me. When you tell someone I'm going to be there for you, then you've got to be there for them. So I'm learning um, not to say that anymore because cause you can't be there for someone. Someone who needs you, they don't realize that there are other people that need you. So in their life, you're, you're, you're the person for them. And if you don't give them that attention, then you drop them like the people, other people that drop them. So you're just triggering all the abandonment that they've had. So even though you've been good to them for 10 years, you're as good as your last deal, as they say, right? Whatever it is. It's a very famous story with the Chassam Seifer. The Chassam Seifer is a big, big tzaddik. And one day in his shul, this guy just got up and started cursing him out and ranking him out. So the Chassam Seifer got up and went over to him and said, I don't understand why you're so angry at me. I never did you a favor. Tashtay, you understand? You do someone a favor, that's it. That's it. So, so it was very hurtful. She was right. I apologize. She didn't, I don't want your apology. I think her therapist told her, just come and just get it all on him. So whatever I said, I was like, I'm really sorry. You're right. I, I, I shouldn't have dropped it in that way. I should have stayed in touch, whatever it is. She said, I said, I apologize. I don't want your apologies. I said, listen, I can't change the past, but let's, let's, I want to help you in the future. I don't need your blanking self-pity. Whatever I said, there was nothing I could say. And, and, and the, the mission says that when there's a dead body in front of a person, don't try to pacify them. Just let it go. Just... Just, you know, let it go. So I let it go. I got slammed. And absolutely. I got slammed. And my wife, my wife is listening to this. And she's like, you know, she's always saying, like, why? why, why? Like, why, what do you need this for? Like, what do you need this for? No one ever walked into any of my friend's house and said, I hate you with every part of my body. My friends go to work. They have a life. They have a family. Nobody ever told them. I hate you and I'll never forgive you. So my wife's like, so what do you need this for? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give shiurim. I'm just going to give shiurim and, and teach girls. And people still hate me because what I say, they may hate, right? And my father always said, success breeds contempt. Success breeds contempt. Nobody, nobody hates number two. Nobody hates the vice president of the United States. Anybody hate him? Number one, everybody hates, right? So... Moshe, listen, I'm not Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai. His face was so lit up, the Jews couldn't look at him. He had to put on a mask. Moshe Rabbeinu did the makas, split the yamsuf. Every time the Jews did something wrong, Hashem said, I'm going to wipe them out. He prayed. He was unbelievable, right? How did they treat him? He took time to try to kill us. Karach went after him. They said, when he built the Mishkan, they said, you stole all the gold. Like, so hello? That's just part of the job. But you know what? Who needs it? So I was like, it was 8, 3 in the morning. I was like, very broken. I was very broken because, first of all, I don't want anyone to hate me. And, no, there's nothing to ask. She is, this is something I learned in my life. It's not about me. She's in a lot of pain. Right, wrong, not right, not wrong. The kid to come to me and say, I hate you and I'll never forgive you is in so much pain and I caused that pain. End of story. It's not, 
Rabbi Gamliel or anybody else. End of story. Even if you're, even if you're right, even if you're right, even if you're right, you don't want to cause someone else pain. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I know. Yaakov Avinu was told to steal the Bukhar from Esau. His mother, Kivut of Aim, said, I want you to go and fool your father. I want you to put on hairy arms. I want you, she came with all, I want you to make the meat that, that, that he makes. And I, I want you to fool your father and take the Bukhar. He had a mitzvah from his mother. When Esau heard from his father that his Bukhar was stolen, by Yitzhak Sha'aka Gedoyla. He screamed and cried. He wasn't crying. Mordechai Hayyehudi. Esau's great, 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 great grandson Haman. Caused Mordechai Hayyehudi. If you look in the Megillah's Esther, he went to the middle of Shushan. By Yitzhak Sha'aka Gedoyla. Says the Medrash. The same words that were used by Esau, that he cried in crazy pain, is used by why? Because Yaakov caused Haman that pain, and therefore Esav caused Mordechai that pain. So the Medrash asks, but his mother, his mother told him to do it. And he did the right thing, because if Esav got the Mechor, it would be finished. And he did kivered all right? So the Medrash says, why would Claudius will be punished that we would cry the same way that Esav cried? And the Medrash says, it doesn't matter if you're right, but you cause someone else pain, you will get that pain back. Even if you're right, you can't cause someone else pain, the Medrash says. So it doesn't matter. You're right. Where's your, and I said it to her. The only thing I said to her before she walked out, she walked out. I said, that you're very disappointed in Rabbi Wallerstein. I agree. That you're upset at Rabbi Wallerstein. I agree. But if someone took care of you for 10 years, like a daughter, and then I messed up for two years, if you hate me, then you have no Akrasatov. Don't come into my house and tell me that I appreciate everything you did, but I hate your guts. Because then you don't appreciate everything I did. I understand you're disappointed. I understand I dropped the ball. And yes, I understand I have to be much more careful now and not tell people that I'm going to take care of you. Just tell them, You'll do your best, so then they can't be angry at you, even though they'll say you're not doing your best, or just like, I'll do whatever I can. And then nobody can be angry at you. But I'm not that kind of person. I always want to help everybody. So it's not like I told her that, and I was thinking when I told her that, I'll tell her that, but I'm not going to do that. I was like, yes, I'm going to be there forever. At first, I didn't know it would take that long, and I also didn't know that her life would go in that direction. But anyway, I'm in a really bad place. My wife's like, you don't need this. I'm her, I'm her husband. She doesn't want to see me at 8.30 in the morning being screamed at by some girl that, you know, I hate your guts and you're... I'm not even telling you half the stuff she said because those words I cannot even say out of my mouth, right? So, no, she has nothing. She has nobody in the world. I am the only thing she has in the whole world. She got married. She got divorced. She has nothing in the world. I am the only thing she has in the world. And I understand her. I understand her. I wouldn't have never done what she did, but she was probably told, you're harboring this in your heart. Put put it out there. Anyway, so I'm done. I'm like, I'm in a, I'm in a bad place. I'm thinking... The Satan set this up because he wants me to give up everything I do. I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm not, I'm, I don't do it that people should be, should like me, don't like me, and don't thank me. I, I always tell my wife, I don't need to thank, I don't do things because they want people to thank me. Don't thank me. I don't need you to thank me. I'm doing it because I think it's right. Just don't hate me for it. That I can't deal with. So don't, don't like me. 
I mean, don't thank me. You don't owe me anything. Don't hate me for it. That, that, you know, that, that's, that, that, that could knock you out of the, out of the care of business. And it happens a lot. A lot of the people that I work with are out of it because they're like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> there was a, we went on a trip. It's a whole thing. We went on a trip for three days. We went to Disney. We went and everything, whatever. It was amazing. And, the, and there was one of the teachers. She gave her life. She left her kids at home. Whatever. And we come back and we're in the airport. And Marish, they were up a whole night. The three teachers were up a whole night with these kids and doing everything. And, and this teacher had to go to the bathroom. So she told the little girls, could you just watch this for me? And the girl said, what do you think? I am a babysitter? Like, what? What? After three days, she gave him a whole life for you? I'm like, so she was like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm not going on any more trips. I'm like, you're doing it because you want them to have a good time. Not because you think they're going to be grateful. Forget about being grateful. It doesn't exist anymore. And if you get great, if you get a thank you, it's special. But don't expect a thank you. Okay? That's why we have a lot of problems with our kids at Cuba to Aim. We don't, we don't appreciate up here. So if you don't give me what I want, like, you know, I don't like you. You know? I have everything coming to me. I told you the story. This girl came to my office cursing her mother and her mother's sitting there and she's like all red and everything. And she turns to the door and she says, I don't understand. Even if I'm not your mother, we just bought you. She just turned 18. She just bought you a brand new Volvo. Like just, just you know, for your birthday. It was like a week before that. And she's using every letter on her mother. And she's like, let's say I'm not your mother, but if someone buys you a Volvo, you don't talk to her like that. And she looks at her mother. She says, what are you talking about? My 18th birthday. It's your job. Right in front of me. I'm like, I didn't know your mother works for you. It's like, I'm 18 years old. It's your job. If you don't buy, you, what do you mean? You have these little kids that are like, Ma, I, I want an iPhone. You're like, iPhone, you're, you're, you're 10 years old. I know, but you're my mother. It's your job to get me an iPhone. It's your job to get this. All of a sudden, parents got jobs. We got jobs. Kids don't have jobs. We have jobs. Okay, so that's the generation. But anyway, I was in a bad place. I was like a little, I was definitely shaken up because it was the first time Maybe there are people out there that hate me, but they never told it to me, right? So, fine, no problem. I don't know. Maybe I should just become a Rebbe and just go back to my old days with my boys in my class, right? And and just and they never hated me. We played football. We went up to coach the delight. We had a good time. We had a good time. Whatever it is, ten guys, twelve guys, whatever it is, you know, you have those thoughts, and then yeah, the Satan's shaking you up. They're shaking you up. They're shaking you up. Anyway, so I said, Hashem. You're always there when I get hurt. I need to know that I'm that I'm doing the right thing. Okay. I get a phone call. I have at eight thirty in the morning till nine, not till nine, till quarter to nine. I get a phone call at about one o'clock. I'm in my car driving. I see it's a Florida a Florida number. Pick it up. Please don't ever don't call me private because you call me private, right? I try not to pick it up because I'm I'm thinking if the person's private, then they're probably going to say something really nasty to me. They don't want me to be able to call them back. Right? But it's not true. Some people are just private because of the stuff they're talking about. They don't want to be able to go. But anyway, even though I know your number, when, when, after I speak to someone, I make sure I forget everything. I never, I've never spoken. I can't get drunk because I'm scared of what I might say. I've never spoken. Anyone who tells me secrets, believe I and her, I've never spoken out a secret. But anyway, so, it's a Florida number. I pick it up. Hi, is this Rabbi Wallace? And I'm ready, I'm ready for a day. When they start like that, I'm like, now nah, what did I do? I did something in Florida? Like, what did I do? Like, what, who, who did I hurt in Florida? And she goes, Hi, um, she tells me her name. She says, my name is, I think it's Amy, Amy Berkowitz. She goes, do you remember my brother Rafi? Now she said, do you remember my brother Rafi? It happens to be this past year, I lost a bunch of students. Two guys got hit by a car and were in car accidents. They're, they're not little guys, they're 40s. I started teaching in 1978. So you're talking guys who are 
who it's uh, 50, uh, 40 years ago, so there were 13. I have, I have students that are in their 50s, okay, and 40s. Two boys died from cancer, they had cancer. Um, two guys OOD'd, whatever. I lost a bunch of, a bunch of, I went to a lot of, a lot of um, shivas this year. So when she told me, my brother's Rafi Berkowitz, do you remember him? I'm like, okay, where's the shiva? Right, what, what you calling me for? You know, like, like my brother died or whatever it is. Like, I said, sure, I remember Rafi. Rafi was this really big kid in eighth grade. Big guy. He used to call the gentle giant. And he had no mother. His mother died, I think, when he was in second grade. And his father was out of the picture. So I was really like, but I didn't have ornamental stuff. I had, I had a few guys in my class. So this was like, this was like my boy. And I took care of him. And, um, when he graduated, I sent him to Rochester. That didn't work. He got kicked out of Rochester. Then I sent him to Chobetz Chaim. He got kicked out of Chobetz Chaim. Then I sent him to Ezra in Queens. He finally stayed there and he graduated there. And I paid for all the schools wherever he went. He didn't have anyone to take care of him. I took care of him. But it was just short, you know, two, three years, whatever it was. And that was it. I never heard from him again. Till like five, six years later, his sister got married. And his sister was the one who took care of him. She was two years older than him. She, she was his mother, so to say. And I was very close to him. And I haven't seen him in 20 years. But I saw him when his sister got married. I went to the wedding. This guy, this guy was sitting there, big guy. He was like 22. Hell's Angels. A biker. Leather jacket. A beard with rubber bands in it, like those long beards. A ponytail with rubber bands in it. Hair all over the place. Tattoos from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, right? His shirt's open, tattooed. Like a biker. Leather, leather, chains, the works, all those metal studs sticking out. The biker, like, he has bikers outside. Like the real Holly Davidson, like the guys. Like the real boys, like the real boys. Okay, listen, what am I going to do? I didn't see him for a while. And, um, but he's always had that small, he's like a very soft kid, but he's, now he's not such a soft kid, whatever. And, um, comes over to me, I'll never forget it. I said, Rafi, how you doing? Because he's much bigger than me. I said, Rafi, how you doing? He says, hey, Rebbe, how you doing? He says, I want, I want to show you something. Okay? So he takes off his jacket. He's got tattoos. Now, the tattoos these guys have, they're not little heart with a butterfly. <laughs> they're like skulls, crossbones, and a lot of other stuff. Right? And words. And like, these are, this is a biker. Right? This is like a real thing. He says, look at my left hand, Rebbe. And there's no tattoos on his left hand. I said, is it a true story? I'm going to show you a picture of him tonight. I said, I said, why don't you have tattoos on your other hand? He says, you remember when I was in your class, you were buying tillin for everybody? And, and I told you you don't have to buy for me because I have my grandfather's tillin. I guess grandfather died or whatever. Um, when they were doing my body, my tattoo, and I was in the tattoo uh, parlor, um, I was like, it wouldn't be nice to Hashem if, if I like one day want to put on tillin and I put his chillin' on tattoos. It would be like a disgrace. So I said, you know what? Let's just leave the left hand alone. I was like, I started crying. I was like, that's crazy. Because he's on the 49th level of Toma. He's a biker. He's tattooed from head to toe. Has nothing to do with Judaism. He's laying in a tattoo parlor with all the girls and leather and the guys, the whole chevra, the whole gang, right? He's laying in a parlor and they're all choosing what tattoo to put on his body. He's laying in the lowest place in the world. He's on the 49th level of Tommy. He's, he's Clydesdale in the mud. He's the girl in the mud. Filthy, dirty, smelly, in the worst place in the world. And he's like, leave my left hand alone. In front of all these guys, they're like, 
hey man, you're going to look stupid. One hand's full of tattoos, the other hand's empty. He's like, I can't explain it to you, but it's just, it's just a Jewish thing. Just don't put anything. Not one. Not a, not a, not a butterfly. Not a, not a heart. Nothing. You don't touch my left hand. He told me that at, at this wedding, and I was like, I love you, man. Like, like that's just, that's like, that's not normal. That's not normal. You, you're laying in the lowest place in the world, and that's what you're worried about? And that's it. Never spoke to him again. 20 years ago. I haven't spoken to him in 20 years. He's 39 years old today. So his sister calls me up. This is the day where this girl tells me that you dropped the ball. And she says to me, I'm calling you with some good news. I'm like, okay, he's not dead. <laughs> Rafi got married a year and a half ago. So my best friend, um, she had three children. She has three children, and she got divorced, and he married her because he's, he's a shayfala. He, he would marry a woman with three kids. not a problem. And um, today, today, he made a bris for his baby son. I said, wow, um, your friend is Jewish? I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen her either. She goes, Jewish? She's Chabad. I'm like, your friend's Chabad? He goes, yeah, she wears a shekel. I said, one second, one second. R- Rafi's from? She goes, yeah. He's actually the main guy in the shul. He's in, he's in Plantation, Florida, right? And he's like building their shul up. I'm like, wow. I said, can you send me a picture? Not to my phone, because my phone you'll never be able to see. Send it to my, 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 um, my what's it called? My secretary has like a, an old iPhone 5, whatever it is. If you send it to that, then I can actually, I can actually see this, I can actually see this picture. I want to see what, you know. She says, yeah, she says, but I got to tell you something else. I'm like, you don't have to tell me anything else. I just got a message from God that I know what I need to do. I, that you called me today, the same day? She goes, no, 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 you need to know something else. I'm like, I want you to know how much Rafi loves you. Now, I haven't seen this guy. In, I had him in eighth grade. That's it. I said, how much does he love me? She goes, he named his son Zachariah. True story. It's a true story. I said, I said, one second, I'm not dead. Right? She says, because they're Ashkenaz. I said, she said, I know. So we said to everyone that we just liked that name because it was his Rebbe's name. But I'm telling you, he named it after you. Okay? So I was like, whoa. Hashem, thank you for the message. I have to repair what happened with this girl and I w- it will be repaired one day. You just have to wait till it calms down a little bit. But I got the message. I got the message. So I want to end with this. I want to end with this. It's amazing. amazing. I can't even tell you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to try. I'll see because I'm not so good with this stuff. I don't know if there's even any power on this phone. But I'd like to show you. He's holding the, ba- he's holding the baby in the picture with his left hand. And there's nothing on it. I have to show this to you. It's amazing. The reason I'm telling you this story is because this is exactly what happened on Pesach. Exactly what happened. We're in the lowest place. And Hashem's like, yeah, yeah, but there's one arm that doesn't have dirt on it. That's the Pintalid. He's, he's sitting in a tattoo parlor with the lowest people in the world. And he's like, don't touch my left hand. Mika Amchisrol. Mika Amchisrol. I'm like, whatever. It happened this week. I'm going to show you a picture so you shouldn't think I'm making up a story. If I, if I have any power left. So there is a reason for a smartphone. To get a picture. I don't know if the camera can get this. Probably can't, but...
Come on, come on, come on. Where are you? Ah, here we are. Drew, pass this around, please. That's Rafi, and that's his baby, and that's his left hand. No, you don't know him. That's not. Anyway, you know what? I, I'll just show it to everyone. Give me, give me the. Yeah, it's the phone. Of course, it's going to go up. There's something's not that. Phone died. The phone died. Okay, it doesn't matter. It does, they saw it. Okay, so after charge, to charge it up. Anyway, anyway, so I want to end with this. One more fast story. One more fast story, and I'll let you go. But this is this is the Jew. This is what God saw in us on the night of Pesach. It was a moment. There was a shippah on. He's like, I see through the mud. I see through the dirt. Even in the worst place, in their biggest avayi zara, they're willing to go into a desert where I'm not giving them any food. I'm not promising them any money. I'm just promising them some trip to some mountain. I'm going to give them this Torah, which I don't know what it was. I'm going to give them this thing, right? And, 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 and they're coming. No water, no food. In a desert, sand. They don't... We're going. That's him. He's like, you can do the worst thing to me. Don't touch my left hand. So now I want to read you an unbelievable story, and we'll end with this. So there's a book. I was in Florida for Purim. There's a book in Florida called The Real Florida Jewish Directory. So I take it because it has all the shows, all the mixers, all the, all the kosher restaurants. It has everything. So here's a story, everyone, that is absolutely amazing. And I ripped out this story because they have one story every month. And it's a story about a boy named Kyle. Okay, I'm going to read it to you very fast. Kyle, K-Y-L-E. It's not a Jewish story. One day when I was a freshman in high school, ninth grader, I saw a kid from my class walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books. Why would a kid be carrying all of his books, right, from school? I thought to myself, why would anyone bring home all his books on a Friday? He must really be a nerd. I had quite a weekend planned for myself, football game with my friends. So I just walked by him. As I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running towards him. They ran to him, knocking all his books out of his arms and tripping him, so he landed in the dirt. His, they were bullies. His glasses, were, his glasses went flying, and I saw them land in the grass about 10 feet from him. He looked up, and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes. My heart went out to him, so I jogged over to him, and, I, and as he crawled around looking for his glasses, I saw a tear in his eye. As I handed him his glasses, I said, Those guys that did this to you, they're real jerks. They really need to get a life. He looked at me and said, thanks. There was a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him up. I helped him pick up his books and asked him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived very close to me. So I asked him why I never saw him. He said, I was in a private school till now. Now I'm in public school with you. We talked all the way home and I helped carry his books. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play football on Saturday with me and my friends. He said, yes. We hung out all weekend and the more I got to know Kyle the more I liked him, and my friends liked him as well. Monday morning came, so now this kid has to bring all his books back. Monday morning came, and there was Kyle with a huge stack of books again. I stopped him and said, you're really going to build some serious muscles with that pile of books every day. He just laughed and handed me half, the, half of his books. Over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. When we were seniors, we began to think about college. Kyle decided to go to Georgetown, and I was going to Duke. I knew that we would always be friends, that the miles that we'd be apart would never be a problem. He was going to be a doctor, and I was going to be a businessman. Carl was the valedictorian. This is the part that I want you to hear. Carl was the valedictorian of our class. I teased him all the time about being a nerd. He had to prepare a speech for graduation. I was glad it wasn't me having to get up there and speak. Graduation day, I saw Carl. He looked great. He was one of those guys that really found himself 
during high school. He filled out nicely and actually looked good in glasses. He looked great. He had more dates than me. Sometimes I was even jealous. Today was one of those. I could see that he was nervous about his speech, so I smacked him on the back and said, Hey, big guy, you'll be great. He looked at me with one of those looks, that really grateful one, and smiled, thanks. Here it comes. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began, Graduation is a time to, sa- to thank those who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I am here to tell you all that being a friend to someone is the best gift you could ever give anyone. I want to tell you a story. Now, this guy who's writing it, right, is saying, I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told the story of the first day we met, that Friday when he was carrying all the books and the bullies knocked it away. He had planned to kill himself over the weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker to carry all his books so that his mother, his mom, would not have to do it later and have to carry it home after he committed suicide. He looked hard at me and gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved. And he pointed to this guy and he said, my friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard the gasp go through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told us all about his weakest moment. I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling, that same grateful smile. Not until that moment did I realize the depth of what I did. So you don't need to be Rabbi Wallerstein, and you don't need to have Ornava, and you don't need to have to do unbelievable crazy stuff. You just have to be there for someone else. A smile. What? It's in this book called The Real Jewish Jewish Directory. It's in Florida. It's all over Florida. But I can make copies. I'll bring it next week, whatever it is. He, was go- he took all his books and he was going home to commit suicide so his mother wouldn't have to clean out his locker. And those kids went ahead and they knocked all the books. He surely would have killed himself after they bullied him like that and threw away his glasses. And this guy just stopped, felt bad for him, and walked him home and talked to him and said, we made him one of the guys. And everyone's looking at this guy. He's valedictorian. He's handsome. He said he got all the dates, right? You think this guy is a superstar? This guy had a moment in his life when he was willing to, to leave, to, to commit suicide. And that moment, this guy gave him a hug and gave him a smile. And I can imagine how his parents felt about it. So it's not, it's just a moment. It's just, it's just being there in the moment. It's just being there for someone else. It's being kind. It's giving a smile. It's how are you. It's, it's the person who you see not being invited to parties and no one's taking them out, taking them out and inviting them to parties because you never know chas v'shalom what they're thinking or what they're thinking about doing to themselves and how much you can save them. That's Pesach. Pesach is a moment. It's chipazon, says. It's the moment. Now. Leave now. Now, preparation, you can't prepare these things. It's the moment. And, and, and to give love and to give unconditional love to someone and, and just to understand that every Jew, no matter how they look and how far they are and how deep they are, is the pintalid. And that's what Hashem tried to explain to the Malachim. And that's what they didn't see. They saw a princess that was full of dirt, rags, a peasant who ate with her hands, who had no connection to the royalty. There's no greater royalty in the world than God. There's nothing more royal than God. And they're like, these are people, these are lowlifes, these are 49th level tumor. Hashem, what are you doing? Why are you lowering yourself? And Hashem's like, you don't know them the way I know them. And Pesach 
He comes by every one of our Sidorim to prove them that they were wrong. Chas v'sholem, that when Hashem comes with the Malachim to your house, everyone should be sitting there talking about business and Lashonar about people or like, let's eat. Let's not talk about what he did. Let's eat. Let's be human. Let's be the 49th level of Tomah. Let's not, let's not be what he told the Malachim. Just the opposite. You have to sit there, talk about Hashem and be happy that you're at a Seder and be happy that you, you, you're, you're with your family and be happy that you're part of this amazing nation where a guy is in a parlor and they're doing tattoos and he's like, no, don't touch my left hand because maybe I'm going to put on tefillin. And what he said was, maybe I'll put on tefillin and how could I disgrace Hashem? So I did, I did teach him something, right? And the funny thing is, I called him. I called him today. I told him, I, I, I called him actually yesterday because I told him I'm going to talk about him. I wanted to ask permission. And we're talking about my shear. And he said, Rebbe, I got to tell you something. He says, he's now, he's 39 years old. He says, Rebbe, you know, I went to Rochester through me. I went to, he said, but you know, I went to all these yeshivas. I went a little bit, then they threw me out. Then I looked a little bit, then they threw me out. Right? He said, so I have to tell you that in my Chabad shul, right, besides the rabbi, I know more Torah than anybody else. Pretty told me. I'm like, you're the man. Next time I'm in Florida, I'm going to come visit you. Anyway, you should have a tzlach and bracha and Never give up. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.